Hello, I'm Babita, and it's great to have you back with us on Mum Will the Planet Die Before I Do. We hope you're enjoying listening to all the guests in this series who've inspired us so much by the ways in which they are acting to tackle climate change. In this episode, we meet with the Director of Science at the RHS, the Royal Horticultural Society in the UK, Alistair Griffiths. Alistair chats to us about the power of gardening for our own mental health and the planet, and how plants, nature and people can work together to change the world. We hope you enjoy it. Alistair, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. Um, we've been talking a lot about gardening because we've had a few heat waves in the UK in the last few years, and that's been quite scary in some respects, but it also meant that everybody's kind of out in their garden, kind of ignoring all the warning signs of the climate crisis and thinking about, oh, let me get some bedding plants in, in the garden. Um, this conversation is a really important one for us. So I'm just wondering if we can start from the very beginning and talk about your journey into gardening and how you got involved. Yeah, sure. Well, it, it was really, I, I got into gardening through my my grandpa, my granddad. I had a very, very small garden, um, um, which I got, I remember going to a car boot sale and my granddad gave me 30 pence and I bought three little pot, three little pots of succulent plants and put them in the garden. And then they got completely out of control and I'd scratched my head and my, my grandpa was basically there. It was a real sort of connection with my granddad and connection with the land. And, and I think that's what's really powerful about gardening is it it gives you that it it cuts across all all generations and all and all social aspects. So it's a great it's a great way of connecting um, both with the earth but with each other. So yeah, and I've many fond memories uh, doing great stuff with my gramps um, and uh, him teaching me little by little uh, in his way um, to to start to get really excited by it all started actually with my granddad as well he had a summer garden he called it and I'd be out digging potatoes with him and I think my experience with him of kind of under really understanding seasons and how vegetables were grown I grew up in Acton inner city Acton so I had no knowledge of that in our own in my childhood apart from when I was with him so yeah. that was really that was really significant it is a significant, I think there's a real deep-seated cultural, emotional thing again, which is why I think it does bring hope in relation to that, that reconnection of people who've perhaps been disconnected with, with both each other and with and with, with gardening itself and nature, because um, it's not necessarily just having, particularly from a well-being perspective, it's not just necessarily being passive with it, walking past it, although that is enjoyable. It's actually some of that activity with it, which creates also the physical, social and mental uh, well-being aspects that you, you get from doing that, certainly physical, um, which then directly links to mental health improvements because you're, you're out, you're outside you're, you're 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 doing stuff that's well being you're connected to that 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 environment you're connected to the wider piece um and that's but that really connection important. that connection can also be really scary i mean as babs mentioned we've had a couple of successive heat waves i think when you are connected to the land if you have a garden or if you even had a, have a window box you see about sporadic rainfall you see about you know massive warming um <clears throat> it's really it's really frightening um, and it became very personal for me a few years ago when I retrained as a gardener, having um, decided I need a new chapter in my life after journalism. Um, and I came to the RHS and Alistair, you and I met a few years ago when I came to chat to you about yeah. the RHS. And 
the RHS's response to the climate crisis. And I think even though those aspects that you're talking about kind of well-being and, you know, those are all really important, but a huge number of our listeners and parents and caregivers around the country are terrified about the climate crisis, terrified looking out on their on their gardens, seeing the loss of pollinators, seeing the loss of habitats. Um, and my concern at the time, I think, was institutions like the RHS, Babs and I felt it at the BBC as well, maybe are slower to respond to the fact that we are living in a, a deep crisis, even though an institution like the RHS has so many um, keys, so many ways that horticultural and gardening can slow warming and, you know, support our ecosystems. So how did that feel? How does that feel to you? Where do you see that place where the RHS can support kind of gardeners or how gardening can play a role in averting the worst aspects of the climate crisis? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I've been passionate from so the age of eight on the environmental stuff, first got engaged in that connection with land. And then um, I'm pleased, you know, I'm pleased to say that sort of last year, um, and I know I would have liked to have seen it accelerate, although we were doing a lot of things behind the scenes that we weren't talking about. But uh, what I would say was there was a real milestone last year where we did, uh, and it's worth looking on on our website, a sustainability strategy, which is net positive for nature and net positive for people. And, and what's critical is that net positive for people because it's the people that do have the abilities to take the actions to make differences. And every individual, so there's about 49% people actively gardening from, if you know, if you touch a plant, you're gardening, basically. Um, so that collective um, action is is really really um, you know really capable of making a change. Did you say forty nine percent, Alistair? Because yes. that you're talking about in the UK here. Yeah. Yes. That is so, a huge number of people. That, and that includes huge. Babita. One of my favourite text conversations <laughs> with Babs ever is when Babs sends me photos of plants and says, "How do I propagate this?" It's just, do you know what, so Alistair? Lovely. When you were talking about you and your grandpa and you going a bit nuts with succulents I totally understand that but the difference is that I'm doing that at 46 years of age and not That's when fabulous. I was a kid so you know I'm, I'm I'm new to all of this but I am loving it and also I find it a real sense of healing and well-being for me particularly going through tricky time in the last few years with the loss of my mum and and yeah. various other things I've, I've found it um like a bit of a, a path forward um which I'm loving but you know what Katie didn't say to our listeners and we're going to go back to this because when you did both have this conversation back in 2019 I remember Katie saying to me I really want to approach the RHS and find out why we're bedding plants and and not talking about you know the battle against climate crisis and how we can be using our gardens in a bit more effective way you didn't mention that Katie so I'm going to put that out there because that then led the conversation with you and Alistair to here we are now Alistair about you know how things have changed because I know that in the last few years it's become Chelsea Flower Show for example in the UK a huge flower show has definitely got a bit more on board with eco gardening and and that I'd say that there's a bit more of a trend to be eco friendly when it comes to gardening and understanding it a bit more but I think the frustration is what happens before that trend began do we have to wait for a trend before we get action yeah. going no no we don't and you know in 2011 so that i was the first to, to to bring a big conference around health and horticulture 
And the reason I did that is that I fundamentally understood that if we can connect health, our health, right across the different levels, um, that horticulture is good for your mental, your social and physical health and evidence-based that, the one thing as a species that we are selfish is around our health. And, and if we know that what we're doing as an action is good for our health and what we're doing for our actions is negative for our health, and we see that, my hope is that then people um, turn that into, into, into action. Let's just break it down. We've got a garden, a small one. What do we, what can we do? Yeah. That is going to make a difference. So, so one of the big things that you can do in relation to know is make sure that your plants and and the medium that you're using is peat free because in relation to peat peat is three covers three percent of the land cover across this across the world but it also stores more carbon than twice the amount of vegetation on the planet and the other amazing thing about peat is I don't think there's any other technology out there. I've yet to be challenged on this. There is no other technology out there that can store carbon because it sits basically dead vegetation um, that sits in a it doesn't have oxygen in there. So it sits there for thousands of years. And and it's the best way of storing. Now, when you open up that peatland, um, it turns from um if you think about your sink, it turns from something that's filling up with water to something that is removing that water out and you get wet. And in other fact, it's the carbon stuff. So it turns from uh, a sink to a source. Um, and so we need to protect those people. And what can you do to do that? Well, you can first of all go into your uh, garden centres and, and ask people, uh, are your plants peat free, uh, particularly supermarkets? um ask asking them because then when there's a demand uh from that we have got a big project and we're working on that with growers who are producing four to six million plants to accelerate that and we're working with government but again what it needs is is the voice of customers to go and say those things and also choose but even better to help the industry transition and they've done a really good job um it's taken time but certainly in the last five years for example last year 1.7 million cubic meters of peat were used that's now down to 950,000, but it still needs to go down to zero is that what we've got is a volume gap uh that needs to be plugged for the industry so when you're mulching uh, or when you're well the first thing is is get composting because if you've got composting at home, what you can do is use your own stuff, keep it locally sourced. So you're not driving to the garden centre to get your bag, you're reducing that footprint. And at the same time, what you're doing is you're freeing up the uh, peat free mediums so that the growers can accelerate that transition. So it's a massive, I mean, that is just a massive opportunity um, to do that. Particularly, I'm so glad you've talked about composting. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things so, to do. So, compost. And if you, if I don't know, what, some, uh, I think if the other thing which is fun, although I had a bit of a nightmare because I've done, I've not done it before. So this, this year I thought, right, I'm going to do a wormery for this will be great. Yes. And and so again, food waste. You know, you can you can use it now. Slaughter them on. I'm learning how to do it, but I can tell you, it, 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 it's fun for the family. I mean, some kids like it. Some kids go, oh. Mm. But again, it's a way of connecting uh, people with it. But again, mixing your food waste and others, and that worm cast material 
is really good to add to when you're doing sort of cuttings and seeds as a nutritional boost because some of the peat-free growing medias need a little bit of a different way of growing, but not much, just watering differently slightly. Um, and and other than that, most people wouldn't see the difference. So I think peat is 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 a is a massive one that people can can get engaged with and and really help um to keep um uh keep them in the box not in the bags and and make sure that we're you know we're we're doing everything we can soil is my is my bag i i love soil but i think about how soil even in our own gardens you're right heathlands peatlands beautiful but thinking about our own gardens if our own soil in our gardens is depleted it's dry um it's not being used as effectively as it can be to store water to lock in carbon itself so what would you say to to people um, on the need for kind of mulching their own borders for example it's important also for water retention but what can that how can that help in terms of encouraging wildlife insects pollinators um yeah oh i mean i mean i mean adding organic matter to 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 your garden so i'll give you a bit of a uh, a tip that I that I do, particularly if you don't have a garden, although I am lucky to have a garden, um, is is I go out on this. I still because I need a lot of it. I go out on the streets and I rake the leaves. I clear the paths, um, and I and I take those leaves because autumn is a perfect time. And then I I put, I put them in like a hessian. You can you know in the smallest scale you can put them in a bit of a hessian sack, or or I've make a like a, a I've had this chicken mesh for that I've had some for fencing off so my dog didn't go in the pond and I reuse that so again reusing things is really quite critical oh Alistair like, you and me I'm out on the road scraping up the leaves we could go out together with our glasses <laughs> and our, I mean our I mean I didn't want to say this was getting a bit cliquey but uh <laughs> this yeah. is amazing but, that, is amazing. but that's but those are the things that you want to do and you know the other big big thing that people can do and you know it's really really apparent right now is we work with Cranfield University, who who are amazing. Um, Prof. Jerry Knox and Ian Holman heads up. Thanks you for your for your support and work. On we produced a uh, a link called and and Janet Manning was involved as the knowledge transfer transfer partnership there. We've produced a link which you can look up called Rains to Men's. And because if you use men's water, each of those litres of worm water has to be treated, has to be pumped, has to be used. So therefore, each of those litres has a carbon footprint. But if you do a whole bunch of things in your garden, so just about, you know, some of the tips. So basically what it is on the website, rain number two men's. Um, if you look on there, there's a whole bunch of things that you can pledge to do. So far, we've had 35.4 million litres of water pledged by gardeners, which is critical because in the southeast alone, by 2050, the Environment Agency seal at that point called it the jaws of death, which is basically the demand for water will outstrip the supply. Yeah, we've and, heard that too. We have heard that too. And, yeah. and so all these things that you can do, but simple, right? A simple thing, even on a balcony. So you're talking about water butts then, Alistair, basically. Well, well a whole a whole bunch of things. So, or using bath water on plants. Is that the kind so, so so I think so so you know, some of the examples are if you put just a, a little tray underneath a single individual pot, we've worked out you can save 15 litres of water a year. Now imagine if you upscale that to 27 million gardeners. Mm. That starts to become really powerful. But the other thing is about mulching. So use your leaf, use your compost, use your... If you can't, 
you know, if you don't have space to compost, go nick the leaves outside if you've got space to compost. If you haven't got space to compost, look for your local green waste person or your local area and get that stuff in from as close as you possibly can and use that to mulch because if you add organic matter what you do is you you enable the fact that you've got this sort of uh ability to hold moisture more like a sponge and that slows the flow so i think it was yesterday when you get that absolute torrential rain going down the challenge there is that our systems victorian systems can't cope with that sewage cause is pumped out because it can't do manage the surface water runoff but if you have gardens with mulch and they've got plants that are uh, removing water and you do all these different things have a water but i've got a mine i've got 1800 liters uh water but it's it, they're huge and i don't use men's water uh for for my garden but also select i thought i was right impressive plants. with six water butts that's nothing listening to you i mean it's almost as if you're, I don't know, I'm putting words in your mouth, but it's almost as if you're wanting people to become almost citizen scientists. Because what you're talking about is helping to people understand about mulch, water retention, seeing the changes in their gardens. I mean, is that is that a driver for you to get people involved so they're also seeing the changes in the environment and how they can how they can help doing it in their own gardens. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd I think I'd call it more community science, community science, and I'd rather have a community based approach because I think the the word citizen is not um, it just feels a bit clinical and a bit more it's a bit detached. But because what you know, again, I don't want to be preachy, but we just want to share this information. And we want people to, to again, you know, it, it, it's everyone's individual journey. And it's about let's provide the information that they've got. Let's not beat people up if they can't do it. Uh, let's let's, you know, it, it's old Aesop's fable. I, I love Aesop's fable. Apply sunshine, f- remove the barriers to the changes. Now, there are elements where wind is very appropriate because people are not waking up. But I think this aspect of providing solutions and getting people engaged and getting them sharing their solutions is really, really important. So the other thing we do have is RHS uh, Grow, which is an app that people can download and go on, which you put your plants on that on that garden. And I'll give you information and advice about how to look after that. Now, you'll see more and more will develop aspects about how you garden and the way you garden in relation to uh maximizing the uh environmental and health benefits of your garden whilst minimizing resource use and waste uh, to get those benefits whilst keeping them healthy through plant health aspects um but yeah i i think you know i think getting people engaged and getting people to take action and feeding back it's very powerful that for example that um men's terrains as me quoting, which I did do in government previously, when I heard that the session before I was sat in was a, a water session. So I sat in there, thought that would be interesting listening. I wasn't aware, and maybe you were aware, that the last reservoir built in this country for drinking water was in 1989. How shocking is that? But individual gardeners can make a, you know, if you look at the pledges and you can pledge and sign up, you can choose what you're doing. Many of you, many of them are probably already doing what, what we're doing. But again, you know, the, the act of gardening, you don't need to feel guilty because you can take action directly on your doorstep that has that that slows down, slow the floor by having that soil and that mulch that then doesn't go into the rivers 
uh, and, and helps to deal with the surface. Capturing water in your water butts reduces the amount that's flowing out. Um, I mean, we could talk to you for hours on this. Um, and But I, I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear, because you are the lead scientist at the RHS. That's that hat, but you're also a dad and you're a keen gardener, as we've just discovered as well. And that's the other hat. I'm, I, I wanted to ask you on a personal level, really, Alistair, why do you care so much? Um, oh, I've always I've always cared from from the age of eight about um, people. And I, I just think it is. Oh, I, I see the evidence and I I see people not not listening um and and we need to do we need to do everything that we can and and I think you know this this scenario is you know scientists are emotional <laughs> but I think men, many more are doing this at the moment they're really really worried um, and I, and I think you know that the, so all I can do is throw every ounce of my energy in in into doing what I think is is helping um, for you know for, for us as a civilization and, and for for other people. I think it's we really need a mass awakening of 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 the challenges but we don't we shouldn't you know i've learned a long time that that beating people up about this doesn't doesn't help and and so we have to be solution focused we have to be positive we have to be passionate we have to be emotional we have to spread that emotion and that passion uh to to, to make people realize how how all of these things, little as they are, means that, that that you can play a role and 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 make a significant difference. And I say all those actions in that sustainable have really been thought through by 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 us all. We probably missed things off, so if we have, let us know. Um, that 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 that's why I, I've I've seen in my lifetime um, significant shifts, and even now when we're getting fires and floods and and heat waves. I know the cost of living crisis is a challenge, but it's a short-term pain, um, and the ten-year challenge is is to just seeing what is happening. Is is we've got to keep we've got to keep positive, and I think gardening is positive. Gardening gives hope and connection and resilience and strength as communities and 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 as and as society, and it gives us an ability uh, to adapt uh, and and to and to change. But, you know, um, Alistair, thank you for getting emotional. Babs and I, well, I cry on the phone to Babs all the time about the climate crisis. It's terrifying. We've had many guests on this podcast who have also, you know, been talking about their families who've also got emotional. It's actually so important because if we don't bring that level of, you know, realness, vulnerability and emotion into this conversation, it's not real anymore. You know, this is a, a crisis. This is an emergency. When we talk to you and talk to all of our other guests, the personal endeavours that you have, the persistence that you have on a personal level to, yes, you have these jobs and these positions, but it's more than that, which I think we just got a sense of when you just answered the question about why, why do you care? So with that position as a lead scientist, do you feel that you are getting the support that you want 
within an institution that dates back to what 1804 I mean it's a big juggernaut of a beast to kind of bring about change do you get that yeah yes now now I do now because um, oh now you do where you did yeah. it before historically I I I I I think we're in we're we're in a in the right in the right place now um in relation to where we're doing I think in part before but now it, it's taken a number of years and we were doing a lot of things but also the right people in the right places to um to help uh move move that forward so i would say for example and it is a very apt name uh, our president keith weed yeah. of the rhs <laughs> sorry keith. yes that's a good surname it's a great surname but he 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 basically was Oh, that's tickled me. I'm going to be off that one for a while. Prior to that, it was at Unilever. But what he did at Unilever was created the sustainability strategy for Unilever. He came in and he supported me uh, to write the sustainability strategy with Sue Garrard, uh, who also wrote it to, to make that difference. So that was really, really supportive. Um, and that shifted because then what happened was with all of that, having that support right at the top meant that we had council support. Uh, right at the top and then that was only more enforced in that uh, the the latest the newest DG who has just written the new RHS strategy have a look at it it's really good and really cool but what also she had she has a background she was from the Wellcome Trust before uh, the RHS but she was also at the Natural History Museum so she she's literally embedded because sustainability should be like a piece of rock. It should be right the way across, cut across in everything that we do. Now, we're not there yet. These things take time, but we now have we now have the remit with the, the sustainability strategy and we're now taking action with the resource that we've got to do what we 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 can do to make a difference. So I think I think those things linked to that are the support. Will will I ever be happy with um what we're doing no because if i am we're not do we're not doing everything that we possibly can do so i will continually be at it and making sure that we're fulfilling that and and we also appointed a sustainability strategy manager last year who's also doing that and we're building that team as well so as we have more and more people working on that um i think i think that that's really great but you know podcasts like this help me spread the word about the strategy and help me spread the word about what gardeners can do. And although it is quite a big, thick document, just go in it and look at the actions because they're quite simple. Can you just give me five very quick pointers from that? Okay. Because people don't necessarily have all the time to wade through all the documents. I'm just wondering five key ones. So so I think Pete Pete is definitely one we've just talked about. So if every UK gardener planted a medium tree in their community, school, workplace or garden and nurtured it to maturity, these trees would store carbon equivalent to driving 11.4 million times around our planet in an electric car. It's very important. Mm. Um, in relation to water, we've talked about that. It's is is really important in relation to looking at minimizing your water use or using plants that don't need water. Switch more to perennial plants. Uh, I've done particular things like red hot pokers are so beautiful. I've got a red hot poker. They're from South Africa, right? So they're hopefully going to cope with the increasing climate. Oh my god, I feel like I'm in the club. You've made it, Babs. Thanks, guys. 
Thank you. Um, look at our look at our plants for pollinators list because that's been underpinned by a lot of research and it tells you what plants uh, you can plant in your garden to encourage pollinators. Yeah, I mean, in an element again, my front garden, I've mown a path through, but you don't need to mow everything. And again, what's fabulous about that is you can use your long grass. It is. I would say there are some challenges, and this is about the barriers. Is that not everyone can do what I do, which is lift the mower up and go across without being careful. But um, what that does is it gives me extra composting material that I can mix in with my leaves and stuff. So you start to look at your garden as a, a regenerative thing. It's within trying to keep everything within your thing. Really, really cool. And something that you can talk to your friends about, um, uh, about having unique things is go to your local reclamation site or reclamation center. I used to live in, in, in near Wells. And Wells has this most amazing reclamation centre where you can, you know, you can get the bricks that used to be uh, developed in early ages. Now, that is already embodied carbon. Yeah. So, you know, rather than buying new carbon materials, go and buy stuff that's already been made. So recycle. But again, look what you've got in your garden, because often there's bits of stuff hidden in corners unearth that and you can create some things with that um i think those uh, so that's a sort of i was hoping you were going to talk about ponds because my me we created a wildlife pond a couple of years ago and honestly it's been unbelievable it's been so exciting for the kids to look at the dragonflies and the newts and yeah yeah you know, i mean that, i mean like, certainly ponds again will <laughs> get me slightly emotional but during lockdown um because i was working in in my office there I created a pond because I had a number of losses uh, and my dad also slipped over and is now a paraplegic uh, in that area and I had to see him through a window and wave at him at Christmas. Uh, so I'm actually on, I saw him on Sunday and I gave him a planter, raised planter with plants in that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that pond for me was my, I mean, I first of all tried to do clay. I was really convinced I could use my own clay. So I spent three days treading it as break time uh, which was my therapeutic. And it was a tear. Uh, I created a tear, but what I created it for was for the sadness time, but also looking to the future for when where I have uh, tears of joy and happiness. So it, it was never going to be a negative thing, but it created both emotions. And you're right. You know, once you put that pond in, oh my God, I had a heron visit, a moorhen visit, even the, like the all the birds that are going, oh, I need a drink, I need yeah. a drink. Come, uh, build, you know, that classic scenario, build and they will come. Yeah. Absolutely, so dragonfly, true. stuff like that. Within, within, and that's what happens at Shores, to be honest. Chelsea Flower Show and other shows, as soon as they put the plants in, it's like a mm. nightclub for, for insects. So they, all, they all come in. Um, so, yeah, building a pond... Uh, and engaging with nature that's how I got excited as well by nature was frogs and things like that and yeah. that connection and the wonder of it um, getting people connected with the wonder of nature will make a big difference because if we love nature I believe we, we we're more likely well research shows that you're more likely to care for it and take actions uh, environmental actions that mean you care um, plant healthy is the other area um, you know, we need to try and prevent pests and diseases coming into this country. So ask your garden centres, are their plants plant healthy certified? Because we've been working quite hard with the industry on, on getting people to make sure that pests and diseases 
don't come into this country uh, because if a tree gets a pest, it's not sequestering the carbon as much as it could be doing. Um, if if you know if you didn't have that uh, if you didn't have that plant performing as it could be as an athlete. So I think there's those aspects. Um, the other one is um, you know avoid pesticides. Um, look at creating uh, habitats in your gardens for things like lacewing larvae and ladybirds. I mean, ladybirds are vicious. Yeah. Like, I just, I just literally, I found a ladybird in one part of my garden and put it onto my rolls, which had a lot of aphids. Um, and see that wider, see that wider food chain that you're connecting to, because bats feed off again with the pond. They'll feed off some of the aspects uh, of those aspects and see that you're part of you are your garden is part of the world and and that's what i loved about the agenda 21 thing because it was about think globally act locally and 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 the things you can do and there's so many things you can do um that don't cost a lot of money um that if collectively we did gives hope and an impact that support that you say you now have i know that's been a bit of a struggle to get there it's been a long haul for you, hasn't it, to kind of get the environmental crisis really on the table. How has having that support now for, for your vision and what you've been trying to say all along, what does that mean to you? Oh, it, it, it's massive. It, it, it's absolutely. So, you know, for example, our new, our new director general, uh, we're now working with the Natural History Museum and we're working with the Depart Department for Education on uh, nature parks for schools which which is a, a huge project um working on on and actually going into schools and creating some of the poorer schools and and creating biodiversity and and climate climate resilient schools so you know it's it it's 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 more about how we can engage this there's still there's still um things to do and 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 some of those things are challenging in relation to financial resources to do things as quickly as we can and we all we all struggle with those so we have to work out what's our priorities and and what but are going to be the best focus you, the support that you've had Emotion, emotionally is is it's just very very helpful to know that people are supporting me um through if you take peter as an example through through what is quite a a challenging time and and is is really a leadership time yeah. uh, where you're working with people to want to change 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 something that has been embedded so long in society um and and having someone when you do get others that are trying to block or stop or reverse what you're trying to do and you have people at the top that are saying no, I see what you're doing. I support you. It's brilliant. It's fabulous. Yeah. Well, long may it continue. We are running out of time. Um, got a couple of minutes left with you, Alistair, but I'm just um would love to just ask you one more question if we can. Do you talk to your son about the climate crisis? I do, yeah. I I, I do talk to him about the, the challenges and stuff. And and I and I talk about, I guess in many ways, I said I'm, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. I feel so one of the things that I am doing around the, you know, I've got an air source heat pump, I collect all my water, I've got solar panels, I've got a battery, 
um, I'm actually doing very well at the moment. I'm because of the sun. I'm I'm generating about ten pound a day from Octopus Flux. So <laughs> you should get on that. So it's actually working financially. Well, it is. I've got, I've it got is. a huge. I've got a huge loan, so it isn't. <laughs> and, and and basically, I don't know. I I say to him, look, I'm doing all this because because of both me and you. I think it's really it's really important that we're that we're doing it. He is. He is nervous about it, and I do, I do feel I think he feels in, in, disempowered um, because there's not just that going on. There's all sorts of other disruption going yeah. on in his world. I mean, we I'm going to sound like a real old git, but actually we've had it really, really quite smooth. Yeah. Um, and and I think you know we didn't have to go through a massive pandemic. We we haven't had to see the 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 the, the disruption and change in governments. Uh, and and the way that the world is shifting or see some of these things that are still being seen as economic challenges when actually they're not they're climate change and biodiversity crisis and um but yeah but can i get in gardening no i can't and it's, it's it's a bit like you know it's a bit it's a bit like my dad was a photographer um <laughs> And, you know, I just rebelled against it. He sent me a he sent me a TikTok thing yesterday. It was quite funny. It was like something called "I'm a plant dad." It's got as like I said, "I'm a plant dad." I'm plant dad. And I said, "Very funny. Maybe I need to spend some more time with your son and less with you know, the plants." I've got every confidence he'll get there, though. With you as a role model, I've every confidence. How old is it might he? Take him a while. Oh, he's twenty. He's twenty three now. He's a musician. Again, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you get that kind of shift from scientist to musician, sort of musician, very creative. But um, yeah, I think I think no, he does get he does get it. Um, he, he must do because he's you know. I, I remember my first you know the first time when I was doing my PhD, I changed his nappy in the nursery while I was doing some work on conservation of species. And at the end of the five years, this is probably why I put him off. He helped me count the seeds. Um, <laughs> he's actually got an acknowledgement in my PhD for that. But oh, yeah, so cool. maybe that put him off. Um, but no, no, he, he, he is, he is, he, he's certainly concerned as are his friends. Um, I yeah. did, I did a, yeah, I did uh, during COVID. I did a, uh, a climate change for gardening for his university group and they they just yeah they just they, they were really positive about it particularly with indoor indoor gardening well i'm sure he's very proud of his dad yeah well i'm really proud of him so yeah i think uh, even if i'm a plant dad Alistair Griffiths there on how we can use our own backyards in the climate emergency whilst looking after our own mental health at the same time Thanks so much for being part of this journey with us. Your support means that this podcast is possible. So a huge thank you. Please do keep in touch with us. We're on all the usual social media platforms. Just use the hashtag MumWillThePlanetDie. And next time we meet the award-winning astrophysicist, Professor Sarah Briddle, who decided to make a radical change in her high-profile career to focus on food. That's coming up next. See you then. Mum. Will the Planet Die Before I Do? is a Corner Shop media production presented and produced by Babita Sharma, Katie Glasborough and edited by Nisha Patel.